Welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Milani. This week, I finally, some might say, started listening to a bit of the Blind Boy podcast. It's been recommended to me over and over again for the past few years. For those of you listening or maybe watching this at a later date who don't know who Blind Boy is, he's a lad from a place called Limerick in Ireland who became famous from my memory and recollection in a group called the Rubber Bandits years ago and for wearing a plastic bag over his face, therefore concealing his identity. He's now host of a very famous podcast, which has a lot of different uh, modalities to it or maybe aspects to it. But one thing that he's done is help to destigmatize conversations about mental health, particularly in Ireland. And I'm coming back at the moment to re-record this, the introduction to the podcast this week with Jez Wood. And having listened back to it, I realized that I mentioned Blind Boys podcast in my conversation with Jez. So I find it very interesting that I happened also to listen to one of his episodes for the first time. Why am I telling you this? Well, because what I really liked when I listened to Blind Boy was that he did a little blurb at the beginning of his episode. When I say a little blurb, I mean he talked a little bit before actually going into the interview. Since I started doing interviews for the podcast, I've really missed the solo part, getting to share a bit of maybe my interests, my knowledge, my expertise on certain things, some of the coaching that I do and the training, just general me. And when I listened to Blind Boy, I realised, oh, you know what? I could do that too. I could add a little bit in at the beginning, talking about something that mattered to me this week, something that occurred or that I believe will help or maybe bring insight to my listeners. So I'm trying it out this week. I'm going to speak directly to you as a listener, if I may, first of all, whether you're somebody who keeps coming back week on week, thank you, or someone who's new to the podcast. Podcasting, unlike other social media, doesn't really allow you to understand and know who's listening, other than you in your mind, thinking about people that you really want to resonate with. Now, I know that I've done a few different things and changed it up over the past almost six months now. So my listeners may have changed. But I would love to ask you, if you please, will get in touch with me and tell me why you listen, what you'd like to hear from the episodes and anything else about you that can help me to create content that will serve you better. I've got a few changes coming at the end of September. It'll be six months, very exciting, old or young, we might say, the podcast, on the week of Equinox, which is spiritually a very important week. And when we go back into the pagan calendars, both Celtic pagan calendars and others influenced from from Germany and places like that, it's the marking of one of the eight Celtic festivals, the eight sections of the year. 
And I've got a very special guest coming on, who is an Irish teacher. Irish as in Gaeilge, our beautiful language. We have a great conversation about the influence of the Irish language on English. We, t- we talk a little bit about why we might say certain things the way that we say them and how a bit of the abomination of the English coming over and taking our land and our country led us to behave maybe in particular ways in terms of communication that we wouldn't necessarily do in the Irish language. So I hope you'll come back and and stay tuned in for that. We've also got a little bit of a giveaway. Uh, Molly is uh, has a very very big following on Instagram, and I'm really grateful for her for to her for coming on. But she's given a discount on her course as well, and we might try and do a little bit of a competition for anybody who decides to subscribe to the podcast on that day and and gets in touch with us. So stay tuned. That conversation is coming. Following that, I'm going to have more conversations released about women and men's, well, people's experiences of communication in their lives and and accent bias, language bias, things which have challenged and blocked their careers, aspects of leadership and culture and communication that have changed and could be changed or improved as we move into a more globalised world. If you're somebody who has a story to share about career communication, challenges you've experienced, blocks, bias, anything along those lines, or you study or are a researcher in these types of areas, language, culture, self-awareness and and neuroscience, please do get in touch. I would love to have the opportunity to interview or, or share it with somebody else. Before I move into introducing Jez, I'm going to just mention again that topic of mental health because Jez and I actually talk quite a lot about destigmatizing things like failure and therapy. Why therapy is, in fact, as important as getting a massage or maybe getting a facial the conversation around mental health is improving and is changing and is opening up, but there's still a sense of trepidation or fear for a lot of people to say, yeah, I go to therapy. This happened to me. I had this experience. Again, giving reference to Blind Boy at the start of his podcast, when he was having his little, I'm not going to say waffle, spiel about his week, he said he was using virtual reality and playing virtual reality games But what he recognized for himself was that because he's got very high anxiety, when he came out of the virtual reality world back into the so-called real world, the one we believe to be real anyway, he had to do a lot of meditation to calm his brain back down and manage his anxiety. This kind of self-awareness and recognition is an incredible thing to hear from somebody who has such a public voice. We don't need to hear it just from public voices. It's important to hear it from each other, whether we're in the workplace, whether we're sitting at a bus stop sometimes and letting a person share themselves a little bit. Holding space where we can and where is possible for other people to 
to share a little bit of themselves and their stories can make an incredible impact on their lives and on their day. And indeed on our own. Jez and I talk about a lot of different things in the podcast. We go in a few different directions that he even said himself he hadn't expected or anticipated to go down. You'll hear him talk about failure and some of the experiences that he has had in business over his 15 years. A moment that was a catalyst in his life for change, which sent him on an explorative journey to India. He mentions a few books that were instrumental in him changing his life, the impact of that wake up call on him and on moving out of a place of discontent or maybe where he had a sense of loss into a greater sense of joy. I press him a little bit uh, into a a bit more depth of self-reflection on uncovering his own journey of self-awareness and when that truly began. He, He reveals and talks a lot about the influence and the inspiration he got from Rob Moore on normalizing therapy and being inspired to attend. Talking about his own experience working in a social enterprise cafe with respect to communication. We mentioned getting slapped in the face by perspective. How sometimes when we live what might be perceived as a nice and comfortable life, find ourselves complaining about things to only realize that the complaints that we're making are very small in comparison to the experiences that others can be living and what an impact that can have on our mindset and on our behaviours in the workplace and in life when we self-reflect and see them for what they really are. Jez wasn't afraid to share his story and I'm really grateful to him for that. As I said, we went on a few different loops and as we come to the end of the story, I really loved how he identified with his experience working alongside and helping to train former uh, former prison inmates, a lot of them whose first language wasn't English and who needed a particular type of sensitivity in communication, what consideration was necessary in how to approach the conversations with them and an understanding that sometimes sensitivity is required depending on the vulnerability of the people that we're working with. It's a a conversation of complete and absolute honesty, truth, and a little bit of laughter (laughs) from the two of us as we get to know each other on the podcast this week. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure because I don't know what you enjoy, but it is my absolute desire and hope that there will be at least some small thing for you to take away from it, listener. If there is and whatever that might be, please feel free to share it with me. Share it with others who you love, who you believe might be impacted by it or maybe need a little bit of a nudge themselves in the direction of self-reflection and and self-awareness. Please subscribe to the podcast. As I always ask, podcasts are a hard thing to manage. 
they take a lot of time and energy, which I absolutely adore investing in. But without subscriptions, without follows, without reviews, the charts and the algorithms, these lovely robots that command so much of our lives today don't know that people like it. So if you're coming back, if you're listening to it, thank you again. Please rate it. Please follow. Please share it with your friends. Do me a good turn, as I said in my reel on Instagram this week. Let's hear from Jez. You're going to host a podcast called Thriving in Failure. Welcome to the show, Jez. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. What does that mean? The So our pod, the podcast is about um, really sort of delving deep into what it means to have setbacks and challenges in business and potential, you know, I suppose, disastrous kind of moments that, um, you know, I suppose, change the course of of someone's um, kind of business career or, or business venture. Um, because I felt there was not enough. There's lots of podcasts about um, failure in general, personal failure, but not necessarily business failure. And I think there's a lot to learn from business failure. There's also a lot about, uh, it's a lot of sort of stigma around failing in, in business as well. And I think it's actually important for new entrepreneurs um and you know young people looking to get into business that actually failure is is very much part of the process and part of the game um and i wanted to really share that with people um as a way of kind of inspiring them and, and actually i suppose destigmatizing um failure and that actually is it's a very much a necessary part to success mm. Hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. I'll come back to what you're saying on this. I think it's an important thing that you're, you're aiming to do there. Oh, before we talk about the focus of the podcast or the goal and the message that you're bringing, what does failure mean to you? I, I think it's when something happens that doesn't meet your someone's expectations or or goals. That is quite, you know, that is actually quite significant. And as I said, that really changes the course of trajectory um and i suppose that could be as as simple as you know not hitting a not hitting a target um if you you know someone sets a sales target and you know you only reach 75% you could deem that a failure um but then obviously you know a whole business imploding and you know, business partnership kind of splitting up and, you know, really sort of acrimonious end could also be a failure. And I think it's definitely a, a, an interesting word to even delve into uh-huh. um, because there's so many different connotations around it. And that's, you know, that's part of, you know, what I want to explore as well. And that's actually one of my questions in the podcast is actually um, in my um, quick fire round is what does failure mean to to the person being interviewed? Because it, yeah, it can mean um, lots of different things. And, and to be honest, quite a lot of the the people I've had on so far, the the answer that they're actually giving is failure is you know is necessary or is part of the journey, um, which I suppose goes along with the kind of message that I'm trying to um, bring to the fore through the podcast. Hmm. Hmm. I sort of look at failure like a learning opportunity. I don't really believe mm-hmm. 
failure per se, if, mm. if unless we haven't learned something from it. Mm. So maybe, I don't know if I'm thinking about it for myself, if I repeat the same thing, a bit like Einstein's yeah, how would definition you of it? madness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, failure, how would I define it? It's got a negative connotation, the mm. word. And I, mm. and I recognize that that's what you see in it and want to, to change the, the feeling on it and, and destigmatize mm. it. I see not achieving goals and ambitions as part of life. But as opposed to them being a failure, they're a, an opportunity for success the next time. Mm. Mm. And, and definitely a learning mm. to look back every time something doesn't go the way we intended it and say, OK, what did I do that maybe didn't make it a success? Was I stretching too far? Was I unrealistic in my expectations? Mm. Was it the right time for me to do that? Because mm. there are so many things that I've wanted to do or decided to do or set as goals in my life. But I didn't necessarily achieve them within six months or 12 months. I, I never actually really put, that's a lie, before I even finish the sentence. In my 20s, I put goals out for achievement by the time I was 40. Right. There were some that I didn't achieve, but there were life reasons because of that. Mm. If Did I regret- you see that as a failure? No, because... If I see it as a failure, then I'm negating every lesson that I've learned in the other decisions that I made. They have all formed part of who I am. Uh, I don't believe in the who. Well, when I come on your podcast someday, we can talk about this more. <laughs> <laughs> so failure then, there must be a reason I'm guessing that brought you towards wanting to destigmatize failure. Is that? Do you know, do you know what? There isn't, I haven't actually... Uh... In, in sort of my business career and and sort of work career, I haven't actually had a a really big failure. Um, you know, obviously some setbacks and, and challenges in you know my personal life. I lost my you know I lost my dad when I was uh, twenty five. Um, you know, uh, my parents divorced when uh, I, I was seven, and you know I was brought up in a sort of fairly struggling. Um, single parent family in terms of struggling in terms of finance so you know and then they're not necessarily failures but obviously they are um yeah challenges let's put it that way um but there's there's not been um a, a huge sort of big moment of of failure in uh, in my business career there's definitely been you know quite a lot of issues in my um recent business um in, in property you know there's been challenges and probably quite a lot of you know failures around partnering with the wrong people in terms of like contractors that we're working with and things like that I definitely deem that as failures but there's not been a, a huge kind of catastrophe um that has led me to want to bring this message to the public I just do you know what it is? It's because this is the type of podcast that I want to listen to. Mm. And there's nothing else out there like it. And I listen to a lot of podcasts on kind of business and I, I suppose around sort of learning. Um, and there is nothing else like this. The the sort of closest I've got, but it's obviously on the, on the flip side is a great podcast called how I built this. Mm. And, that tells the story of of you know how 
people have created and founded businesses um, and the trajectory. And obviously there is some some failure in there, but ultimately it's it's about the their route to success. Um, but there's nothing that deep dives into people's struggles and setbacks in business. And that, and it, as I say, it's 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 I'm purely doing this because as I say, this is the type of content I want to be listening to. I obviously get to learn from people I'm having on as well. Um, and it, so it's it's kind of like, in some ways, a, a little bit kind of selfish why I'm actually even doing it. And I get right. to meet yeah. some great people and have some great conversations. Yeah, I, I understand that completely. Uh, but I think when we're motivated towards a goal of giving people something from ourselves and opening up a conversation that people aren't necessarily having, it does need to motivate us. And if we're motivated by speaking to interesting people and having mm. conversations like the mm. one we're having now, just exploring mm. thought, exploring mm. life, exploring experience, there's a, a great gift in being able to enjoy that because that's where energy can flow from and mm. create a good connection and a conversation. So you're wanting to dig deep on things that have maybe knocked people throughout their business experiences so as to make it normalize it. Maybe yeah, no, exactly. That's yeah. a good word. Yeah, definitely yeah. normalize it. Um, yeah. And to to help, um, you know, inspiring, inspiring business people, entrepreneurs, but also, you know, existing business leaders to to learn from these experiences because there's so many valuable lessons in these setbacks and, and, and failures that you don't often hear people talk about them. Yeah. As far as I know, sorry. No, I was going to say there's as much value and there's lessons in these, these challenges and failures as in the success stories, but we don't, we hear all we hear is success stories. It sounds very interesting. I think uh, I would definitely listen to it as well because it also bolsters you. As an entrepreneur myself, someone who's building my own business, I want to hear someone say, for the first three years, I felt like I wanted to scratch my eyes out sometimes because it was really, really hard, but I kept going. And then I'm there. And and, and I think that's a really good, really good point because businesses, business and growing business and entrepreneurship can be lonely particularly for people that are you know solo entrepreneurs or have not got business partners it is a lonely place and you know i'm lucky enough to have a a business partner but and but we're a remote business so uh, you know we kind of talk every day but we don't actually get to see each other face to face very often and even that feels can feel quite lonely and difficult and and sometimes when you know business is a complete roller coaster and you've got to be extremely resilient to cope with it. And in some ways, I hope this podcast is able to help build people's resilience because, mm. you know, business for me is up and down and you've got to be able to cope with the with the lows and, and the, the fires and the problem solving that you're having to do on a daily basis. And that's normally what clouds... Um, people's I suppose mentality and and then that means they don't celebrate the wins and focus on the positives I know that's very you know and I'm speaking from personal experience then it's very very easy to think about all the things that are going wrong because often they're the things that sort of 
permeate permeate more than than the the positives and you know um kind of me and my business partner i've got a bit of an exercise when on a weekly basis at the end of the week we actually say well what's you know what have the wins been this week because otherwise you get to friday and you just think it's just been, you know, it's been a particularly shit week or something like that. And yeah, and it's just like, well, let's actually focus on some of the positives. Yeah. As a way of, as a way of building that resilience. Great message. Great message. So you've run, I think, in and around 15 or so businesses in your lifetime so far. Am I right about that? Or is it 15 years? Uh, it's 15 years. Yeah. 15 I wish, years. It, was, I I wish it was 15 businesses. You're a bit young looking to have had that many businesses now. Uh, so... I think I would have had some failures if I'd had 15 businesses. Yeah. Yeah, but in 15 years, you're doing fairly well now to not have had any major failures. So do you need to learn a little lesson about failure? Maybe I do. Maybe. Yeah, maybe I do. Yeah. That's much wood that that's not right after (laughs) we say that. But there must have been something or, or, and a couple of things, even if they were small, that happened along the road for you to recognize, I need to do something differently the next time. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely. Um, right. I mean, uh, sort of one from a personal experience um, was that I essentially left by mutual consent a job. I was running a hospitality um, business and it was... I'd been doing it for um, sort of 10 months and it was a very difficult um, job. It was, you know, a, a manager of a, of quite a, like a hundred seat uh, site and it was a fairly sort of small new business um, that I was working for. And, you know, with those kind of businesses, you have to be, to hospitality you're essentially trying to do two things you're trying to manage the business and work on the business and then um actually be on the shop floor and you know and deal with customers and um or and actually make help service the run and it's kind of an impossible thing to do um and that got to me and it really wore me down i had to, I, you know i worked weekends on that job and I was working probably 60, 70 hours. And yeah, it was kind of started to make me unhappy. And I don't think I realized it at the time. Um, and obviously, I think that's probably showing in the way that I was dealing with things. Don't think I, you know, I was very different. This was quite a few years ago. It was a very different mindset to now. Um, you know, wasn't. I hadn't done half of the personal development I've done over the last sort of four years. So I wasn't dealing with the stresses of that job very well. Wasn't I wasn't really resilient. Um, I probably couldn't even tell you what the word resilient meant at that time. Um, and yeah, it just gr- gr- ground me down. And I ended up, um, kind of, as I say, leaving uh, by mutual consent and... To be honest, that was a big setback. I, you know, I came out of that part relieved, but part scared. And because I'd never not had a job before. And I was then at a crossroads. I didn't really know what to do with myself. Um, and obviously thinking about oh, where, where am I going to, how am I going to pay my mortgage? And ended up 
you know, ended up going to India for three, four weeks to actually just recharge the batteries, really, and just to get some get some perspective. And because I knew that something needed to change there in, you know, the way that I was approaching life mainly um, and, you know, just as a whole. And, you know, that job made me quite unhappy. But actually, I think possibly I was quite, you know, probably a bit lonely. Um, I didn't have a partner at the time. And I was probably just generally a bit sort of unhappy with life and thinking, you know, is there more than this kind of thing? And, you know, did the did the cliche thing of going to India and, you know, reading a couple of really amazing books. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which, you know, turned my sort of world perspective um, around personal finance upside down. That led me to go into property eventually. And then I read Four Hour Workweek um, by Tim Ferriss. And that led me to think more about I suppose lifestyle design, which related to property, and that's why I wanted to start, you know, creating passive income streams. But that also led me to realize, um, well, firstly, to go down the sort of rabbit hole, which is Tim Ferriss's back catalogue, and and get into his podcast, which led me onto lots of other sort of avenues and personal development books and podcasts. And I think it just reignited a thirst for learning that I'd actually had. And so I really sort of, after I came back, went on a sort of path of um, sort of learning and continuous improvement and continually working on myself and, you know, started to change my whole kind of habits around how I um, looked after myself. So started to have more of a clearer kind of exercise regime to meditate, to do gratitude journaling, all those kind of things, um, you know, after I came back from from India. Um, and, you know, here I am for, you know, what, four or five years later. Um, and similar to what all my guests say, grateful of that experience because, you know, I needed that kind of wake-up call to actually change my habits and my perspective on you know my my life and the way I was approaching it in in general not just through my work so yeah that's kind of one of the the sort of biggest sort of setbacks I've had it's not you know it's not technically a business failure but um uh it was definitely a a a pivotal moment moment in my life anyway thank you for sharing Sounds like you went on a real journey of self-discovery and it's a brave thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think I needed it though. I think I need I definitely needed it. And that's why that's why I was sort of saying that, you know, I was coming, I I was feeling something inside me and I was, you know, those last few months of in that job and a general sort of unhappiness. Maybe I was, you know, it's a slight bit of the sort of depression and not really want knowing and probably a bit feeling a sense of loss more than anything mm. not really knowing where i wanted to do what i wanted to do um you know where i was actually going with my career um because i'd got into hospitality because i thought that was a passion that i wanted to um throw myself into because i was really into um food and drink and started my own business and then that didn't I didn't follow that through because I was very much 
too risk averse. So then I went to work for other people managing their businesses. And then sort of three years into that journey, realized that I didn't want to be in hospitality because actually it's so hard and yeah, so hard, much hard work. Digital industry. Um, and hats off to anyone that can sustain it because business for me, running a business is hard enough, let alone, uh, you know, having the, the sort of physicality of being on your feet all day and everything like that. So, yeah, I think it was, um, it, it was definitely coming to a head. Um, and I suppose that, that moment pushed me to, to really think differently and to make some real changes. I sort of feel like when I'm listening to you now and we go back to this thinking about your podcast title, you've got some pretty good examples there of maybe not what are your definition of failure, but if I were listening to you or maybe if I were listening to this podcast, I'd be thinking, well, should that? He's, he's talking about examples of times when he didn't achieve what he thought he wanted to achieve mm, and he mm. changed what he did, which I, I believe resonates with your message. Mm. That's what I want to hear. If you're you're telling me these stories and you're talking about this topic, now I know you've you've experienced it. You've mm. walked away. One of the mm. hardest things that people seem to find is walking away and saying, mm. I'm going to go away for three weeks and mm. find myself. So that moves us into communication. Start. Starting with the self. For me, the four pillars that I work from with my coaching are four pillars of awareness. Self-awareness, brain awareness, linguistic and cultural, but it all starts with the self. So you went on this journey to India, which wasn't very cliche. I thought you were going to tell me you read Eat, Pray, Love. No, I'm not sure what the lessons I would have learned from that. To be honest. don't say that book, Mitch. <laughs> uh, I so, haven't read it and I don't even know, I don't actually even know what it's about. So I haven't read it either. I've I've seen the movie and I've read about it being commissioned before it was written and she went on the trip, put it that way. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who's listening now who loves Eat Pray Love is probably wanting to cut me down. Each to their own listeners. If you love it, you'll love it. If it works for you, stick with it. It wasn't for me. Uh but Communication. So you said when we were talking and we organized this a while back, so I've done actually quite a few interviews since we were talking and they've gone in somewhat a different direction, as you probably realize now, away firstly from communication through the ages and into a conversation with the human, which is much more for me what my goal is with mm. connected communication that I actually hear from from the human themselves. But you said you've had an ongoing journey by uh, and learned to communicate better with yourself. Did that start in India, or did it ha- did it begin before? It's probably been um, bubbling away for a a while, um, but I, it's that that definitely was the the sort of pivotal moment, um, and it's probably. You know, I've really only started to learn about myself more and develop much more self-awareness. Yeah, since that moment, because I've done quite a lot of uh, like retrospective thinking, read a lot of books um, around 
yeah, around sort of the self and self-awareness. Um, I read an amazing um, book called uh, Reboot um, by Jerry Colonna, the executive coach, and he's got a really um, fascinating kind of, I suppose, mindset and, and, and approach because he's there's a lot of uh, about spirituality in there and because he's buddhist but he also comes from a, a massive corporate background um and it's a yeah it's a great book i'd recommend it but that um that's just an example of something that i've read that's very that makes you think about why you know essentially why why are we here um but i think one of the, the pivotal things is was that catalyst of losing that job and, and going to India, but it's all the work that I've done since that's, that's given me this awareness. And I think one of the, the most fundamental things that has sort of changed and changed for, for the better and, and given me different sense of self and learning more about myself is, is therapy. So I've been going to therapy for um, last three years uh, and that actually came and I will shout out because I haven't actually said this publicly, but I will shout out to Rob Moore for this because um, Rob Moore from uh, Progressive um, Property and many other sort of ventures. Progressive Media. Progressive Media, our, uh, yes. Producers of my podcast. There we go. Yes. So he might Big be love listening. to Rob. Um, so j- the reason I'm, I'm saying that is because Rob on one of his WhatsApp groups that I'm a member of um, regularly is very honest about what he's Mm. going through and what Mm. he's, um, I suppose, doing and what he's been through. And this was obviously something that he put in that group three, three or four years ago. And he was sharing his therapy journey. He would leave voice notes about him coming out of therapy and saying how amazing it was and saying that he, I remember the quote, he said that he had learned more from four weeks of therapy than he had in like spending a million pounds on his um, personal development and training. And I think I was already in that sort of mindset that I wanted to start that that journey because therapy is very much a journey. And that really inspired me to, to go because there's still very much a stigma around therapy. I'm even slightly like nervous and com- uncomfortable talking about it here in public because there's still a stigma around it. But it's people like Rob speaking out with his stature, speaking out and actually, you know, to use the word of the day, it seems, destigmatize it. And we need more of that because, you know, it is essentially just learning more about myself um, through a process of of talking. And yeah, I I do it once a week, and sometimes you know I'm not up for doing it because it's you know it's you, do, you don't always want to delve deep on some days. But yeah, I've been doing it pretty much three years, you know, nonstop, and that has been probably the biggest change and biggest uh catalyst for me learning more about myself than anything else thank you for sharing that and for the first time thank you for trusting this space well no i think it's it's the same thing isn't it it's the same thing as what i said about rob we need more people to be talking about it and um it's nothing to be ashamed of 
Um, I, I actually think that everyone should have it. And, you know, I'm actually quite passionate uh, about about it as a as a subject. And, you know, mental health is something that um, is obviously, again, um, something that is becoming less of a, a taboo subject, but that's only a recent change. And um, I don't understand why that is, uh, you know, and everyone understands the the benefits of physical health but mental health still isn't at the same level in terms of how it's how it's judged and how the importance that people put on it and people go to the gym regularly but people don't necessarily go and get whatever mental health support that they might need Mm -hmm. uh, in the same way and it's you know i've had conversations with family members about this and people are like oh it's really expensive why would i want to why would i you know why would i spend money on that and but people wouldn't necessarily say that about going to the gym so or five pints on a friday night well yeah yeah so i i think more people should do it and you know in some ways i think everyone would get value out of it because we can all learn more about ourselves and we've all been through things in our lives even the people that i suppose feel kind of content and happy they would they would still get value from it and you know obviously i am talking a lot about um my childhood and upbringing and things like that and the the sort of the pressures and the the strain of 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 being in a uh in between two parents who are sort of you know going through an acrimonious divorce and you know that's obviously given me things to delve into and talk about um and i'm sure we, everyone you know listening to this would have other experiences to talk about that they would benefit from um you know just the listening ear yeah, absolutely. Well, a point to note actually there, anyone who is listening, if you do feel moved by this, there are organisations you can reach out to. In Ireland, there's an excellent organisation called Sea Change, which supports mental health. Uh, the Blind Boy Bod- Podcast, of course, for Irish listeners. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that, but he's no. a singer slash comedian slash podcast host from Ireland. But he's really worked hard to destigmatize mental health. You might enjoy right. the podcast. Right. And if you are struggling. Obviously, Samaritans can be called. There are others in the UK. We, I might stick a couple of links in just in case mm. people are listening if they need to click through. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this up and sharing it. I was seven also when my parents separated. Well, I was six when the, the news kind of landed, but I think I probably knew for a couple of years before. At five or six, I was placed with my first psychiatrist because of the separation. And we were quizzed about the parenting. And at 13, I was... In, with my first therapist I have I I have stayed out of I believe prison if I can be completely honest with you from my teens not that I was that mm. tear away but I did a couple of things that probably could have landed me in a lot of trouble mm. that if I hadn't been in therapy if I hadn't been in local youth clubs with counsellors and therapists I my life would be very very different from all of my years, I have gone in and out of therapy each time I needed it, peeling off, as they say, in the therapist's chair and a layer of the onion. 
<laughs> and, and most recently, a couple of years ago, when I left my relationship in 2021, I knew I needed a support group around me. Mm. And I joined a therapy group actually mm. in the UK online. Wow. Because if it wasn't going to be there, there was the potential that I was going back. My brain, my head, my heart, my soul, everything needed it. So I completely agree with you in what you say. I'm not a big one for the should because I don't like to place my obligations on another person. It's their life. But therapy, yeah, certainly saved saved me on a number of occasions. And I will never, ever not go back. Every time I need it, I pick up the phone. And so you know, me. that's an amazing, uh, amazing sort of advocacy for for it. You know, um, yeah, and that obviously just shows, shows the the sort of power um, of it. And it's interesting that you know you've explored other versions of it because I think everyone just thinks of it as sitting in a in a cold leather chair in a you know in a sort of nondescript office mm. um as therapy because that's what we see on tv and you know i do mine on online never met my therapist in in person i mean he even though he wants me to but i've never actually gone just because um you know i suppose i'm trying to save time read into that what you will but um no yeah. it's not for and, me and, to read and, <laughs> and um yeah and there's obviously different versions as you said there's you know group therapy so there's i think again it's, it's sort of about you know people exploring what works for them yeah yeah there is group therapy there is spiritual therapy there are many different modalities and actually the podcast episode i have coming out next week i talk about shamanic healing that I got and uh, soul wow. part retrieval. So I, I've done a lot of different things mm. over the years, not just from the quote unquote psychotherapy perspective, but from a, a number of different approaches to to heal my my heart, my mind, and my my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. I totally support it. I'm jumping in here with a little interruption, listeners. We'll go back to the interview in a moment. The episode that I just mentioned launching next week was actually released a couple of weeks ago. It was due to be released next week at the time of recording with Jez. If you are interested in learning about spiritual therapy, if that's what you'd like to call it, and soul retrieval, go back and listen to episode 24 with Caroline Carey. That's the one that I'm referring to and where I mention a little bit about my own experience of soul retrieval or soul parts we might say back we go to my chat with Jess but business wise you've had a number of different experiences in, in management in yeah. marketing um, yeah. I know you said that you worked a lot in fundraising for the homeless is that right? Did you so, mention something uh, about that? Yeah so one of those hospitality jobs um I essentially managed and worked for uh, Crisis, the homeless charity, mm-hmm. and uh, managed and over, you know, essentially ran their social enterprise training cafe um, for them, um, which involved, you know, that was an intense job, but a, a rewarding job. But that involved two things: so running the commercial side of of that business, as well as the training side of it so we essentially took um people that had been just come out of prison 
or had been um, homeless or had experiences of homelessness that would be referred from other parts of crisis and essentially give them on the job training in a hospitality environment in order to then get them into work. Um, so get them kind of back on their feet, give them some confidence. Um, you know, so there was two sort of avenues people either worked on the front of house or in the kitchen. Um, and yeah, people did land jobs from that. And we had various kind of business and workplace contacts that we could um, refer them into. So, you know, cause obviously hospitality is particularly now, and that was, this was a few years ago, it's completely screwed for staffing. So, um, yeah, obviously if you can get someone confident and adept at whatever it is that they're doing in, in that environment, then they would, you know, stand a good chance of, you know, of getting a job. And, and, and I suppose the main thing there is actually holding it. And that's why they work with us for the sort of three months, because they need to, to get back into that routine um, of being in, in and showing up regularly for a job on time and in a fit state to work. Mm-hmm. Um and that was, you know, that was a really difficult job because of everything, all the demands, you know, as I said earlier, the demand, it had the demands of hospitality and running that business and keeping actually trying to, you know, and when I was there, one of the big things that I actually tried to do and was actually to install, instill, I should say, a, a more of a commercial culture to that environment because it didn't really have one before I joined. So I immediately went in and kind of, you know, within the first probably month or six weeks, raised all the prices, you know, and got everyone, you know, setting sort of sales targets and things like that and just making it more community, uh, more commercial focused because that was what it needed. Um, mm. And then obviously working with a team on, on the sort of the training side, but that, that, you know, that was something that was already fairly kind of strong. It was the commercial side that needed, that needed work. Um, and, you know, actually, we did you know pretty well and across those two years and you know ended up winning an, an award for like best cafe or best social enterprise cafe or something like that in in um, some of some awards for a food magazine so yeah obviously really kind of proud of that achievement and that was literally like about three weeks before i left um so it was i ended on a high nice. um and obviously good for the for their marketing and um, so yeah it was a it was a, a difficult difficult role and you know talking about you know communication that environment of having to juggle conversations with customers staff and then trainees um was you know you had to be kind of on your game Mm. um in order to cope with that environment and often having multiple kind of things going on at once and multiple conversations and you know essentially trying to train people as on the job whilst actually trying to make someone's uh, make a coffee for someone so yeah it's very much like multi multitasking um and you know having to really in terms of like the trainees that we worked with really be quite soft in someone in in terms of the you know the way that we were in the language that we used soft uh and in, and and but also encouraging and positive um even though they wouldn't you know they wouldn't do everything right uh but it's just about encouraging them because obviously any potential 
I suppose, criticism that wasn't or constructive feedback that wasn't done in the right way would probably mean that they didn't come back. Yeah. So significant adaptability, first of all, needed between the different types of people you had to communicate Mm. with, then the different categories, Mm. as you said, customer, staff and trainee. Mm. But on top of that, people who maybe had not had a lot of experience with loving and encouraging Mm. communication in their lives to, Mm. to train them in how to Mm. receive feedback and understand Mm. that it wasn't personal yeah and and, you know and we had guys that young guys that had come out of prison and obviously they were pretty i suppose angry with life you know and as i said they obviously very much questioned authority and didn't necessarily um always respect it because obviously you know they'd been in prison for a while and then us sort of telling them what to do that didn't always land very well let's put it that way um so yeah that 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 kind of presented some some challenges and um luckily they were getting you know other support from the you know their kind of mentors themselves so that was part of their ongoing um sort of development and um, rehabilitation coming out of um coming out of prison so yeah, it was um it it was very much an eye-opening kind of job. And at times it made me grateful for I suppose just you know the the simple things and you know having a roof over my head when you know I still remember the one of the or having the conversations with a number of people, you know, the trainees that used to come in. And some of them would be, I've just slept on a bus all night. And one of them, I remember, used to camp out in a pub car park. That was where he stayed. And then he would come in and, you know, for 7 a.m. and completely smash the shift, you know, and do really well on it. And you kind of, you kind of makes you look at yourself because I'm there. I've got a roof in my, over my head. I'm coming in like super tired and a little bit grumpy because it's early and I probably haven't had a coffee. And I, you know, I don't know, may have had an argument with, with someone, a partner the day before or something, you know, like a simple, so it's, you know, I was a little bit grumpy and then you, you'd come in and then there would be a trainee who had been sleeping on a bus all night or in a, in a, uh, in a tent that would be like super, um, like welcoming and effusive. And it kind of just makes you, gives you some perspective. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you get slapped in the face by perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And and you learn resilient about resilience, the the truth, the yeah, real, real the, yeah, yeah. truth and resilience. Wow, fair play to him. Uh, uh, what lessons did you learn about communication in that role that you took forward? I think that um, it may sound obvious, but you've really got to choose your words carefully, and it's like how key language is, and the other. Th- the other thing that I didn't mention is quite a lot of the people that we trained and worked with didn't have English as their first language. Mm-hmm. So then that just adds an extra layer of complexity to the whole 
scenario. So you're having to adapt your language to essentially keep simplifying it. You know, I remember working with some trainees who barely, barely spoke a word of English. Um, And then luckily with hospitality it's very practical and you can and it's you can do a lot of learning by by showing and demonstrating particularly in the kitchen particularly on the stuff that's you know fairly straightforward you know chopping something it's very easy to sort of demonstrate that it's a bit more challenging obviously to do that on customer service but you know those people that couldn't speak um or had less english weren't necessarily was the people that would do sort of the customer facing things but yeah, it's um I, I would say language and trying to I'm I love a good kind of um acronym and you know you get that a lot in very whatever industry you're in, you get uh you know the those you know you get an acronym and I think it's just for example not using those or not using a lot of um you know complicated words in those kind of environments. Um and and I I I, I use quite a lot of um sort of phrases as well um what's the word for that uh idioms yeah idioms so yeah. like i don't know i not to knock on wood and or yeah exactly you know, the, there's all, every cloud has a silver lining yes exactly and I, I, I there's no silver up there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and and obviously that you know in that environment to people that English isn't their first language. That means nothing to them. Mm-hmm. And I get that in the moment, you know, with uh, a lot of my team, um, we're a remote business and a lot of my team are based in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And I have to really, again, really think about my language because um, their English is, to be honest, very, very good. But Yeah, it's one of the it, first languages there, I think, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they all, you know, they all, they've all got good, very good English. Um, because obviously that's one of our you know criteria for working with us as well. But but you know idioms don't don't mean anything to them, and it's not something that um, they understand. And I have to be again pick my language really carefully. And and I think that's a, a sort of theme from you know from both those those jobs. And I think you know we're in a multicultural society now and you know i know most people and english is still the one of the predominant languages of the world but um yeah <laughs> those things like uh idioms uh do confuse people yeah absolutely and i love that you brought this up because this is the core of the work that i do i work with bilingual professionals so those whose first language isn't english and on the one hand, we have the English speaker who, in many cases, isn't aware of using phrases, first of all, of the fact that they're using acronyms, abbreviations, mm. anything like that, never mind aware of how they land mm. or how they're understood. So with that side, thinking they can just speak however they want to speak, not recognizing how the other might hear, mm. and the other side feeling like they need to apologize for not understanding. Mm. where we, we want to find this balance now, recognising, like you said, we're more and more globalised, we're in a multilingual, mm. multicultural mm. world. Mm. Let's just be aware. Use them, fine. Mm. But when you use them, watch how they, they're received. And if you mm. see that confusion, just 
Mm. And you, and you was... really get it in, a, you know, and that's why it was a key learning, you know, in when I was at crisis, because, you know, ultimately we were one of the core objectives we had was to train these people and to actually move them forward and give them more confidence. And if you are using language, which actually confuses them mm-hmm. you're undermining or everything that you're doing and obviously one they're not going to do the thing right that you're telling them and then obviously you're going to have to tell them they're not doing it right and then that's going to knock their confidence um but also they're just generally going to kind of get confused and it will cause um it will cause issues and particularly if it's not kind of picked up and um so and it, you know it can sort of knock their confidence as well and you know essentially we we you know we were trying to create a a kind of positive learning environment and yeah you you have to be you have to be really sensitive of the you know the language that you used and as i said ensure that i suppose it's that process of giving feedback as well and having those delicate conversations and how to approach those 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 delicate conversations with people which who are very sensitive and vulnerable mm. and that's a, what and that's why language is becomes completely key in those yeah. conversations yeah i love it and what a way to bring us to a close this evening i think we could talk for a lot longer and <laughs> explore these subjects further but I don't want to keep you for much longer because we've been here for nearly an hour now and I've loved our conversation. That's been absolutely, it's been fun. It's taken me in all sorts of journeys. I didn't, I didn't expect to, where, where to go. So thank you. But for that. You're very welcome. Well, thank you for being open to going on the journey of, of conversation and for sharing your, your wisdom, your experience, your knowledge, particularly your, your journey and your willingness and openness to share what you're going not going through with this negative connotation to that, what you're you're living at the mm. moment. I really do appreciate you, you speaking about that. Pleasure. And to my listeners, you know, those of you whose first language isn't English who are listening, my message would be that it's okay to be confident and say, I didn't understand that phrase. Mm. Could you clarify what you said? I talk a lot about clarification. And from what you said, soften it up a little bit, be a bit more aware, change the language if it needs to be changed. There is one question that I do ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Do I have time to ask you in the last yeah, two, yeah. two or so minutes? Absolutely. The podcast, as you know, is called Connected Communication. So what does connected communication mean to you? Communication, which I would say aligns and um, engages people. Thank you so much. Well, when your podcast comes out, I'm guessing people can find it on all the different podcast platforms. Yes, it'll be it'll be everywhere. So I will be telling everyone about it. So if anyone wants to um, connect with me and, and follow, I'm at Jeswood on um, Instagram and um, Facebook and, and and LinkedIn. And yeah, the podcast is called Thrive in Failure and um, it will be out in the autumn and um, you can find it in all the podcast channels and I'll be um, talking about it Um on all my channels as well so do look out for that definitely well absolutely i look forward to hearing about when it's launching your links will be in the show notes as well so anyone who is listening do feel free to click through follow jez have a chat share any learnings that you've taken away today anything that you might resonate with if you have resonated i would also ask you please to review the podcast let us know what you thought it does help especially in these 
elusive apple charts <laughs> that I'm hearing so much about. Other than that, listeners, thank you so much for coming back, for coming. If you're a new listener, please like, review and share the podcast. And until next time, Banakti August Boyekas. Jez, thank you so much. It's been a thank pleasure. You. Thank you.